Thanks for listening to this audio from Nesta Education 2019, Shaping the Future, Shifting the System. Coming up, Microsoft's Daidam und Atash introduces a panel to discuss the topic Opportunity Lost, Why Girls Are Not Choosing Computer Science. Welcome. Uh, I am Didam Unatesh. Um, I work in my, at Microsoft, uh, part of the AI engineering team, Cloud and AI, and I am super passionate about this space, uh, having more women and girls in computer science, but also AI. So I'm not going to go into what I do in this space, but I would love to introduce our panelists here. They are super impressive, and it's a true honor to be here with all of you, and of course, meet them. Um, Buki uh, Yusuf uh, will give us a teacher perspective. She's, her uh, school leadership experience includes leading a science department and the enhancement of the whole school's uh, teaching and learning through the use of education technology. She's also a judge at the BET Awards and an education board member for Innovate My School. Thank you, Ibuki, for being here with us. And Kavita <laughs> is uh, going to talk from the social enterprise perspective. She is the COO of Micro Microbit uh, Educational Foundation, which is basically the home of BBC Microbit. And she has worked as a coder, as a software designer, and technology strategist at organizations such as London tw 2012, uh, Channel 4, and Fujitsu. And lastly, Kiera, uh, another impressive participant here, it will give us the policy perspective. She is the deputy director at the Department for Education. And she's responsible for STEM and digital skills strategy. Um, covering all ages from preschool pre to uh, university. She's also responsible for the department's um, strategy in using education technology. So please welcome me in starting our panel. <laughs> Buki, would you like to start with a few sentences on, your, on the teacher's perspective? Okay. Um I had the pleasure of actually teaching a wide range of number of students, particularly year nines. And they are 13 to 14 year old students who are making their choices as to which GCSEs they would like to do. And I taught a set two science class, so they were the most able students doing combined sciences, two GCSEs. And you had an equal representation of girls and boys. And I asked, who's going to be choosing to do computer science? And after about approximately 30 students, you had maybe 10, I would say conservatively, who put their hands up. Yeah. And out of that, one girl was mm, maybe. So I spoke to the girls and said, why aren't you interested in computer science? And a lot of them said to me, we don't even know what it is. That was the first question. That was the first comment they made. And then the second comment was, when I explained a little bit about it, because I had to do a bit of research. I teach science, and I've led ec tech, but I wasn't entirely sure about what computer science was. So when I explained a little bit about it, they just turned around and said, well, we're not, we're not really interested in computers anyway. And they couldn't see any relevance to how it actually features in their lives. And that actually sparked an interest in me, because I just thought, like science, a lot of girls at A-levels, for example, um, biology, we have a high take-up of students who are female. Chemistry, we have a high take-up of students who are female. With the physics cohort that we had, we had about seven students, not a single girl took up the subject, and that was quite stark. 
and it has been that for the past couple of years when I was at the school. So from looking at different perspectives of computer science as well as sciences themselves, I have a big interest in actually thinking of what can we actually do to make it relevant. And I think there are a number of different things we can actually learn, but it's actually getting us to think in a diverse way. First and foremost, we need to speak to the students and find out what interests you, what motivates you, how could we make computer science relevant. To expect students at the age of 13 or 14 to magically think of, okay, this can feature in our lives is a little bit too late. What are we doing when they're in year seven? Now, typically, they'll be looking at ICT, where if they are lucky, they're, they're caught, taught discrete skills, maybe in Excel, maybe Word, maybe PowerPoint. But if you think about it, on average, they may have an hour a week to do these particular things. There may be some computers that don't work, and that would flavour their experiences in a negative sense. What are we doing then? How are we capturing them? Now, I am lucky enough to actually have participated in hackathons. I was speaking to Deedham about this earlier, and I love hackathons. Now, I'm not a great computer expert. In fact, I destroy things as soon as I touch them <laughs> accidentally. But what I love is the collaboration. What I love are the different skills and flavours we can actually bring. What I love is the discussions and the fact that at the end of four, maybe six hours, we have a product, whether it works or not, we have a combined product that the team brought together. Now, my students would love that. And if we use that as a vehicle to actually introduce them to, say, like coding or skills, or, OK, you may not be interested in this, but what skills do you have? This could actually help develop it. That could be a very easy avenue to actually generate interest earlier on. So by the time they get to year nine, they may think, hmm, OK, what can we do? But whatever other avenue we need to think about is, as I said to you earlier, the take-up at post-16 or physics for girls in my school for the past two years was zero. To be successful at computing, um, <clears throat> sorry, computing sciences, computer studies, you need to be good at maths. A lot of students struggle with that, and that might just put them off immediately. You need to also be good at physics in some elements. So again, it's actually thinking, I think, from a cross-curricular purpose, how could we actually move things forward so we could actually have more students actually taking up those particular subjects? Thank you so okay, much. Thank you. I, couldn't agree. I could talk about hacks for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> we have girls and AI hacks uh, coming up in two weeks. So super passionate about that. Um, Kavita, would you mind giving your perspective as a social enterprise? Absolutely, but I'm, you're going to have to forgive me. I've got the same anecdote. Oh, Good. Right. <laughs> I went into a school three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, all-girls school in Marylebone. Uh, talking about tech and the, the girls they were brilliant they were talking about how robots are gon not going to take over the world they are going to have jobs it's going to be fine uh, because it's us the humans that will be programming um, those robots they're not going to kill us it's going to be okay and so I asked them the same question how many of you are going to be programming those robots not one hand went up and it, these, these young women really understood you know, what was going on in tech today. We then talked about Alexa and why the, you know, that voice is feminized. And uh, you know, they, they understood that there weren't enough um, you know, gender diversity in tech. They also understood you know, the role that women have played in the past and why that choice may have been made. I'm not saying it was, but just why it was there. And yet they didn't see the relevance to them. So I have three things that I want to put into the mix today. They're all quite uh, nascent. They all need research. But um, the first one's not controversial at all. Uh, it's the same as what you were saying. You need to make it relevant. 
So what we've been doing at the foundation, and, and actually, before I talk about the foundation, you know, when we say relevant, I don't mean pinkified. I don't, you know, when I, <laughs> when I was growing up, you know, there was, I, I, I was a gamer, so I was like coding games the whole of my, whole of my teens. I, re, I just saw recently that alongside those Nintendos was a knitting uh, machine that you could attach. I don't think that would have appealed to me, and I, I need more evidence, but I don't think it's going to appeal <laughs> to kids today either. You know, what we want is relevancy, but we want it to be gender neutral. So the thing that we did at the foundation recently was to have a global challenge on the sustainable development goals. So these are humanitarian UN goals. If you haven't heard of them, I hadn't heard of them. Uh, world of tech. Um, about how you can get, um, what we did was we basically sort of aligned our um, coding challenge to say, could you come up with a, co uh, a piece of code that would then um, solve uh, or help solve one of those um, areas. And we had some incredible examples, things like uh, food waste, uh, microbit that was che checking how much food was being wasted at lunchtime in someone's school. They, and when they did that, just by putting it on the bucket where all the waste goes in, they um, reduced the waste by 50% in that school in Singapore. Well, what was really exciting about that was that we had put a gender framework together at the beginning of the project where we looked at how we were going to do a call to actions for people to enter, how, who was going to be on the judging panel. And what we got was a without selection, so without bias, we got a 50%, um, so we got an e exactly equal numbers of young girls and young boys who um, were winners regionally. So that is enormously exciting. I think that's something we'll be rolling out again for Do Your Bit going yes. forward. To, so the second thing I want to talk about is the tools themselves. So I've seen very beginnings of um, academic research talking about um, block editors versus text editors. If I say that, does everyone in this room know what I mean? There's a few nods. So most of us who, who grew up in the 80s, like me, learned to code uh, with text-based coding. It's a real pain. It's a real pain. You have to remember where the semicolon goes. It's an end of a <laughs> sentence. I mean, forget about English grammar. <laughs> sort of, you know, coding grammar is, is a bit nuts. So um, in the last five years, what we've seen are tools that basically have drag-and-drop elements of bringing code blocks together, and you plug them together. Uh, when you do that with a kid, it's amazing. They just lock them in. They just know. It's like looking at a game to them. They're like, yeah, this code, this code, this code. Give it to an adult, they're kind of like, where do I drag those things? <laughs> but the more, more importantly, what I'm seeing is um, I, these are research that's under 100 um, children at a time, so I'm, I, I don't want to sort of draw too many conclusions. But what we're seeing is that more girls are finding that an easier way into learning to code than um, sort of traditional text-based coding approaches. So again, we're putting quite a lot of effort this year into our Python editors and working with Microsoft and the MakeCode editor to look at how we could get more research in this area. Um, my last point is to go, but I would say this, it's to go physical computing. Um, how many people here have heard of the BBC Microbit? A fair number of you. It's uh, good. Um, so um, if you haven't heard of it, it's, an, it's a small, tiny computer. It's about this big. I meant to put one in my bag, but obviously it's so small, I left it at home. Um, <laughs> and it's got a couple of buttons on it. It's got 5x5 five five LED screen. It's super simple to get started on. That was how the BBC um, uh, created it. Um, what 
excites me about physical computing is taking code out of a black box, out of you know, those machines, outside the iPhone that no one really knows how it's built anymore, and sticking it into a device, whatever that device might be, but hopefully a microbit, and then sticking it out into whatever you're doing. So in my house, uh, we uh, water all the plants with it. We have it on the bicycles to work out how fast everyone's going. We stick it on the back of the skateboard to figure out, you know, how many times you fell, fell and didn't tell anybody. Um, <laughs> you know, the, these devices are taking code out of the sort of, you know, um, sort of existential effectively and not really understanding how it affects you and then sticking it into the real world is really exciting. So those are my three things. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Kira, would you like to go next? Sure. Um, so <coughs> hopefully uh, the anecdotes that we've just heard uh, individually are really well reflected nationally. Um, what we see is unquestionably a tendency towards uh, not taking uh, computer sciences and certainly um, we have similar issues across certain STEM subjects so physics and advanced maths uh, actually aren't that dissimilar. Once you start to sort of move up the educational curve um, so looking at apprenticeships uh, certain subjects perform even uh, more starkly gendered uh, than computer science. So, for example, engineering and construction, um, we have a very strong male bias, and those are reflected again at an HE, so higher education level. Um, and we've been looking at why this might be, um, and we've we've sort of actually been reflecting as we've been as uh, as we've been talking here already about about some of the reasons for that. But unquestionably, we think one of the major reasons is culture. Yeah. So culturally, um, we have a a perception which no one is really clear why this happens. No one really knows quite why this happens. But from a very young age, girls start to believe that certain subjects are not for them, they are for boys. Uh, and boys believe that certain subjects are very much for them and other subjects are for girls. Uh, and this is actually really well represented by a survey done by the Girl Guides, which shows that pretty much from the age of about seven, computer science is boxed off as a boys thing. So is physics. So if you've already got that attitude from age seven, it's very challenging to then change that young person's perception. So how early we intervene and what we're doing with children from a very young age is really important. Um, something else that we've been thinking about um, is whether or not this is actually an issue with the individual. So a lot of the language that we use and we've been using already is all about changing the mind of the individual. Actually, what we've found is that that probably isn't the right approach. So there's some really interesting work done by somebody called Louise Archer uh, at UCL, who some of you may have heard of, that looks at sort of science more broadly. And what that shows is that it's not actually about changing the mind of the individual. It's about recognizing that that individual choice is that person's choice. We operate in a choice-based system. And as a result of that, what we need to do is get better at making sure that that choice is a well-informed choice and that that's actually about influencing 
the people who are influencing that young person's choice. Mm -hmm. So it's talking to the teachers, it's talking to your parents, and it's talking to society at large, recognizing that you will not, however many um, individual initiatives we level at that one person, ever fully change that person's choice unless we influence those people around them. Because an anecdote that we hear just as often as the ones uh, saying, oh, I don't want to do physics or I don't want to do computing, is the anecdote which says, well, actually, I did kind of want to do computing, but I said that to my mum or my dad, and they said, no, you should do English. You're better at English. Do English. Um, and that's what we then see, unfortunately, reflected back in the statistics. So I'm painting what is a very negative picture, um, but I, I want to flag that um, it's not all bad news. What we are starting to see is a real recognition uh, that it is possible to change. And one of the things that we're going to be doing as a department as a result of creating the National Centre for Computing Education, which was announced at the end of last year and kicked off formally at the start of this year, is looking at what we can do particularly to support teachers to help them uh, feel more confident in teaching computer sciences yes. because what we found is that that confidence is so important not only for helping students to succeed but also in helping people make that choice. The other aspect of work which I would have loved to be able to talk to you in detail about but we're not quite there yet um, but which will hopefully be announcing quite soon uh, is plans um, that we've got in train to look at how we can um, do some specific interventions around girls and computer sciences. So that was part of the remit of the National Centre for Computing. We're just looking at exactly what that programme is going to look like at the moment, and hopefully in the next few months we'll be able to announce some more detail. Um, so I'm just flagging it that it's on our radar. <laughs> um, but I thought I would just bring out a few of those themes that hopefully nationally reflect what we've already heard locally. Thank you. We can't wait to hear and we are happy to help in any way we can. Um, great comments, Kiera. Thank you so much. And they immediately popped up a few questions in my mind. If you don't mind, I'll ask a few and then the floor will be yours. Um, the first question I would love to ask, building on the first comment you made, Kiera, and it's a question to any of you if you wish to answer, is what can we learn from other subjects like math or science, or if you look at the trends mm -hmm. in medicine versus engineering? So I think physics is really uh, important as a lesson learned area. So we support something at the moment that the Institute of Physics are running as a pilot, which is fascinating. And basically what it does is it's looked at whether or not if you can change attitudes in the school, not towards physics, but towards gendered behavior, that has a really positive knock-on impact on people taking physics. And that's really interesting. So it's down to things like, for example, primary school teachers tend to ask girls to take the uh, register and boys to move the tables. Even though at primary school, boys are generally smaller <laughs> than girls. <laughs> so it's completely irrational. <laughs> it's just a societal norm that's crept in and it's changing attitudes like that apparently has had a really big effect. Super. Any comments? I was going to say one thing I'd learn, you can learn from other subjects is English and maths. I teach science. Yeah. So um, in terms of relevance, 
GCC students will say, I need to make sure that I revise for my English, I need to make sure I need to revise for my maths, because this is what I need, you know, for future studies, post-16, or sure. roles and things like that. Sure. And I think unless we can actually have, um, I call it digital skills, so I won't even just call it sort of like mm. computer science, digital skills, along you know, in explained or shared, you know, you need to have the relevance built in the same way, you're not going to change the conversations and the importance of it because it's, it looks like it's a choice. We live in a digital era yeah. and that's one of the things that even with educators, we seem to be about 100, 200 years behind because of a number of schools who don't use technology and it can be in any shape or form to enhance the learning, to enhance the teaching or even the, you know, like admin systems. Mm. It's any particular way and model yeah. that. Yeah. you know, on a daily basis. But the number of schools who don't still understand the relevance of that is, is quite shocking to me. Yeah. So if you have educators that don't, don't model that, and the students won't see the importance of that. And I think that unless we can actually have, as I say, digital skills um, framed in the same importance as English and maths, because these are skills for life, for then, sure. you know, we'll be fighting an uphill battle. For sure. Um, yeah, that's... I think that they're really positive contributions. I have a really negative one, which is <laughs> which is, and, and off piste as well, which is is that you know we we often look at um, uh, from computing into maths and physics. What about sports? Um, mm. So at London 2012, we uh, you know I had the job of using digital to get more young people into sports, and the numbers are terrible. They're absolutely appalling right now. So you know we had that little uplift the year after everyone wanted to go to the Olympics and that's it there, you know there's actually less physical activity going on with young people today so you know I think that my my take when I'm reflecting on that I haven't reflected on it deeply but it's it's sort of you know it's not about one single event it's definitely yeah. what you were talking about a zeitgeist change mm. trying to get it across the whole population not one focal point yeah and that was related to my second question, actually. So, Kiera, you mentioned um, that it's not an individual, it's about choices and the environment that uh, these choices are made in, or sometimes made to make made in. Um, I studied electrical engineering, and I'm Turkish by background, and when I was growing up, it was fine. I mean, it didn't matter whether you were a female or male to study engineering. And as I worked and lived in different countries, it was fascinating for me to observe the stark differences as in cultures and making those choices. So uh, my question is this, are, what are some of the best practices from other uh, countries and education systems? To give you an idea, uh, today Central Eastern Europe or China have this situation much better, of course, for historic and political reasons. But Bulgaria, if I remember my numbers correctly, is 39% in computer science. On the other hand, uh, a country like US used to be 37% in 1985 in computer science choices, and now they are at 12%. That is mortifying. And um, I would love to ask you, what, what is the trend in the UK if you have, uh, and how can we do better? How can we use some of the best practices from other systems that might be doing better? So the trend in the UK uh, is improving, uh, recognizing that obviously we had a blip because we changed the way that we did our A-level and our GCSE choices by yeah. taking out ICT and bringing in computer science. Um, I think that 
so again, um, computer science is tricky because A, it's generally aggregated up with STEM. Sure. Um, so when you're looking at this question, it's quite difficult to see, and also because we obviously have a choice-based system, so we aren't directly comparable with a lot of European sure. or, or, or international countries. Um, but there was a really interesting piece of work done that looked at this question of gendered subject choice, and they found that internationally, really unusually, the less developed the country, the more likely you were to take STEM subjects as a woman. And that's because it was seen as a much safer career choice with much better long-term career prospects mm -hmm. because of the fact that there was less of a safety net, like social safety net. And that's really difficult <laughs> for a country like us. Um, because, can, I, yeah. can I just build on that point? Because just before I took this role, I actually lived in India for a few years. And, and, so, and there it was really stark. So 30% of the, um, the, the uh, workforce within tech is actually female. And, they, and the Open University has just re released a study, and they were talking about how you know, the choices those companies were making made it less, um, you know, more attractive for women. I, I thought it was anecdotal, it was just seen as something you could do from home, but actually it's the choices of having, um, you're allowed, you get a taxi-driven car to and from work, for example, or a, or a bus or whatever, the flexibility of um, you know, t having time for childcare, the fact that they're coming in with um, Western um, employment st um, structures, so they were actually giving maternity rights, though all of those were contributing mm. and building on the fact that the sort of, you know, those parents were then suddenly saying, actually, Maybe my kids should be studying that. That might be the right career choice for those yeah. kids. Yeah. I mean, I, I, if you don't mind mm -hmm. me, I would love to add that I think one of the most fascinating books that I uh, I read about this, you know, why did the U.S. come from 37 percent to 12 percent, is Brotopia. And there you see it's really a great analysis because it talks about not just the education system, not cu culture and family, but also startups, Silicon Valley, VC mm. cultures, big tech companies, how all these factors collectively draw up women. I mean, and it's, it's a bit depressing, but an eye opener. <laughs> Anyhow, um, next question, and then I would love to open it to our audience. Um, how can we work together? Business, education, policymakers, uh, researchers, how can we collaborate to improve this situation? Um, for me, actually, building on um, the last point as well, the, you know, what we're seeing around the world is there's a real focus back to the UK. Mm -hmm. I find it really interesting. So, you, you know, the places like Singapore and Canada, Denmark, Norway, they, they're, you know, they're basically phoning us up on a regular basis going, you know, you've got these incredible um, examples. We gave, we didn't. The BBC gave a million microbits to 11-year-olds 11 11 -year in the UK. <coughs> And we've been um, sort of building through that. So I think there's something around how um, policymakers in the UK and around the world can connect to be actually uh, to actually share best practice mm -hmm. stats and see if we can co-collaborate. And I know there was a, a committee meeting a couple of weeks ago um, to doing just that. So that I think that would be a really big one for us. So we do actually we do do that, and we're, we're trying to do more through the the G7 and G20. Um, so my team's responsible for, for looking at women in STEM, and it is the top question we get asked <laughs> to collaborate on by other countries. So I think 
as I, as I was sort of alluding to, if you're a developed country, everyone recognises that no one has cracked this problem sure. and no one really knows quite why. And I think that the best way, from our perspective, that we think that we can help not just ourselves but the world is by producing far better quality research sure. so really looking at what yep. is it that you need to do from a behavioral insights perspective to shift the dial why do people choose what they choose because we don't really know and nobody really knows yeah okay, okay. From, a, from an educator's viewpoint and i think quite simplistically for my students they're very diverse one of the things they say one, okay, so I, I shared the anecdote at the start about the one girl out of ten who said, maybe I might do computer um, sciences. One of the questions she used to keep asking me was, she said, oh, I'm, I'm trying to think about what I want to do when, as an adult when I work. Sure. And she kept saying, oh, I'd like to be a surgeon, but I don't know anyone who's a surgeon. Mm -hmm. I don't see many people like me. Yeah. And I think from a very simplistic um, viewpoint in terms of teachers are generally quite time pressured, and students will actually maybe ask them, you know, off the hoop for advice and things like that, is having vlogs or anecdotes, narratives of um, diverse representation. And it could be, you know, in terms of gender, in terms of ethnicity, in terms of even, um, I, I'm just thinking, you know, like working class backgrounds, all kinds. Yeah. So at least they have a viewpoint, you know, have a discussion point and saying, oh, there's someone like me who can do this. Because sure. sometimes that sparks the interest and the conversation. I can and do they it. then yeah. can explore. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so something as simple as that maybe in the first Absolutely. instance. Absolutely. And how can we work together? I, I at least speaking for myself and I think Microsoft as well, we are very, very happy to help. I don't mean to sound salesy or anything, but I do feel very proud and fortunate to work for Microsoft because I can't even count. I mean there is the Microsoft education team but also, I can't even count the number of initiatives like DigiGirls or YouthSpark or Girls in AI, et cetera, that my colleagues are uh, conducting. And I know for myself, having gone through that pain uh, for more than 20 years in my career, I wanted to change. So I'm using every single hour, weekend to this cause. So very, very happy to collaborate and do more. So enough questions from our side. Uh, Please, go for it. Uh, hi. Um, I had a question related to your point about bringing um, digital, like making the digital skills. And I wondered if in curriculum talks, there was a move towards talking about coding and computer science as a, as a core um, a skill as opposed to a subject. So in the same way that all courses relate to your literacy development yeah. and all courses relate to your numeracy. And I bring that up. So I, um, I work for a program that does STEM placements and uh, workshops and skills days for older students. And we had a student last year who was asked us for a biology-related placement. We put her in a lab that was doing computational biology. And all of the adults were like, this is the vanguard of biology. <laughs> it's the coolest, this is the coolest placement we have. And that student um, went home crying the first night because she wasn't in a lab. A petting, uh, and yes. and we are have we are struggling to convince all, and that's happened in other subject areas as well. So we're struggling to convince all of these students. It doesn't matter what what niche science you like. You're going to have to learn to code mm -hmm. and do things. It's yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. And so we're actually looking at changing the way we offer kind of taster things around yes. computer science to be more embedded to everyone. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if that was coming up in policy talks that just moving away from it being a discrete subject to more of a core competency kind of. Mm, great question. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting question. I have yet to see those discussions, if I'm, if I'm honest. I don't think in terms, of, in terms of education generally, I don't see that 
broad perspectives. And I, I'm um, lucky to meet with some leaders in some schools where they actually do view things, but they, they're in the minority. Mm. Um, and, and what the students can actually do is, is breathtaking because they have a very much, they've got, they're creative in their, in their thinking and what they can actually do. And they realise that the, school, the skills they have um, are not necessarily the be-all, but it can help them for future things they encounter as well. I would generally say that we're not there. So do you mind if I just build on of that? Of course. So um, in the other part of my job, I'm responsible for ed tech. And as you were saying, I think in the point that you were making, in order to embed those digital skills across mm. the curriculum, we need to have more confident um, teachers who are confident using digital tools. I've lost count of the number of times I've heard teachers tell me things like, we don't use computers because we wouldn't use them when Ofsted came round in case yes. they went wrong. Yes. And you were just oh. like, oh. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, we are um, hopefully going to be launching an EdTech strategy in the next uh, few months that should be looking to start addressing this issue. So our Secretary of State at the BET show, which some of you may have been at yeah. a few weeks ago, made a big keynote speech basically saying, look, this is not okay. Yeah. We need to have teachers who don't view um, technology as something to fear, but as something that can actually help you teach more effectively. But, and, that, and that is a way of basically sort of doing, I think, what you're describing. I also think that there's a really important role for industry to play. So the fact that that girl was thinking that the way that biology is going is the pipette thing, yeah is actually because that's the message that they portray out into the wider world. So what we really need, uh, you know, major car companies to be doing or major um, pharmaceutical companies to be doing is actually saying it's not that world anymore. The world has moved on. Yes. Okay. And it's quite telling that, I mean, as, at least as an aspirational example in, in Stanford or universities like Stanford, Carnegie Mellon and MIT, um, they have coding as an obligatory subject. You could study humanities mm -hmm. or dancing, doesn't matter, you do have to learn coding. Mm -hmm. It's telling, yeah. you know. Thank you for mm -hmm. the question. Sure, please. Uh, just a comment adding to your, your question. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm working for a governmental agency in Sweden, and uh, if you want uh, a trial <laughs> to, to shadow, um, as of uh, August last year, uh, the Swedish curricula was updating in accordance to the National Digital Strategy for Education. So we're actually implementing this sort of thing right now. Um, schools haven't been prepared enough. So I think in, in, the, in the near future, there will be, be very good cases to, um, I mean, you can learn from our mistakes. <laughs> we have some success stories to share as well. And um, this goes from, um, um, preschool um, to, I mean, through the K-12 system, um, and um, your, I like your story about the visual programming bits also, that's included in the maths education yeah. for, for the early, early yeah. school years. Yeah. So um, uh, this also puts some pressure on the, um, on the I mean, the academic uh, well, the teacher education, yeah. for example, is not at all. Mm. They're not. Sometimes it seems they're not even aware of this change in the national curriculum. Mm. Um, difficult to keep together, but um, yeah. Thank you so, so much so for sharing. Yeah. We'll Just be one okay. thought on those two points. Well, uh, you know, we've got some studies in the Western Balkans. We're rolling out a, a very big program over six countries there 
Um, and the, um, but the pilot was really interesting to me because we created spaces, and this goes back to your point, which was that we created spaces where the teachers were learning from the students. You know, students, <laughs> I picked this up really, really quickly. Um, and then and can self-learn through you know a couple of packages mm -hmm. but what we were finding what the research came back was the teachers got more confidence mm -hmm. and were learning new things from that and ha they had to they had to do a mind shift to feel confident about that I'm still processing, to be honest. I mean, they're, they're huge questions. And um, particularly with the second one about the follow through, you've got these girls who have got the qualifications, then what? And if the, you know, if the world, the working world has not changed, then it's almost, I'd, I'd be careful about the, the terminology I use, but it's almost so as though we've not actually recognized about the, the gender aspects that still need to follow through to the working world. And I think that's a very powerful question. Um, I'll be honest and say I'm still processing that. So if I just sure, uh, push sure, on, sure. on, yeah. So I mean, I, you're absolutely right. If we aren't getting industry to face up to the reality of what you need to do in order to be a supportive employer, then we are effectively setting women up to fail. And it's really frustrating as a policymaker to kind of keep going around this circle, only to have the woman get to employment and see them drop out very quickly because the culture just simply isn't there. So government set up the Tech Talent Charter, which uh, some of you may have heard of, um, which is trying to address this issue by getting major employers and uh, small and medium employers too to sign up to a charter that says you need to try and make sure that you're addressing issues like gender pay gap, making sure that you're making an inclusive working environment, doing things to look at your recruitment practices to make sure that you're uh, addressing things like unconscious bias. But the reality is the number of people who signed up to that charter is still nowhere near as many as it could be. And I think that... Um, it's interesting because particularly within technology, and, and I think you, you made the really good point earlier um, about this kind of bro culture, particularly in startups, you know, presenteeism for, uh, for an industry that 
is meant to be enabling you to work from anywhere in the world, yet presenteeism is a core part of many of the business models of these major companies, and that surely has to be something that they need to address. I think all we can do um, from a government perspective is, is recognise that that's not okay and call it out through things like gender pay gap reporting. But ultimately, it has to be something that if companies are really serious about looking at proper gender representation, they have to take on board themselves. May can I, I answer that? Sorry, it, I was going to do a complete <laughs> disjunct to that and, you do, uh, <laughs> and talk about the very last comment you made about culture. Um, so um, one of the things that I'm looking at at the moment is a microbit program that's in Denmark, which is actually funded by a private trust but goes through um, the state broadcaster there. And so that really excites me because, you know, that, that's how I learned to program back in the 80s with the BBC Micro. It was on TV the whole time. Mm -hmm. And you could watch a program from the Open University and go into school and break the computer. None of your teachers would notice. Um, but, but, the, um, but the Danish programs that have been coming out are phenomenal. They're sort of, you know... Um, gender diverse in the way they present, really vibrant. I don't speak a word of Danish, but I, I'm really excited by just watching those um, snippets of programs. I want to get the mic a bit out. Sorry, I'm going to comment. I'm talking too much mm -hmm. as the chairman. Yeah. <laughs> um, on your first question, you asked about how can we learn from the mistakes made. And I would strongly recommend everyone to have a look at the Brotopia book because there are so many unforgettable examples, but it's one that really stuck with me the most. Image processing. So that's actually uh, happens to be how women started to be objectified in technology sector. Mm -hmm. So they took one wrong image and then it became the image, the big thing with that image processing technology S-curve. And there you go, you have this kind of porn type thing going on in the mm -hmm. whole sector. And before things amplify, I, think, I actually think we are very fortunate to be here in this event, hosted by a, a think tank like Nesta, and also in the UK, where the society is questioning these things much earlier on, so they can actually be managed. They can actually be stopped, if not I mean, slowed down, if not stopped. On your second question, I think I'm a living example I've always worked for large technology companies because I love technology, and I have definitely experienced sexual harassment, um, pay gap, all those things that you, you can imagine, and I still deal with that. But I am very optimistic because it has improved a huge deal. And again, I think, uh, <laughs> I, I really don't want to be salesy, but Microsoft has done an amazing job. I have experiences over seven, eight years um, of my tenure then, and it's possible. It's so hopeful to observe that change top down in a company that large. And today, I'm proud to say, if there is an issue in, this, in my company, if there is an issue and you don't speak up to fix the issue, then the culture is, there's something wrong with you, mm. not the culture. And that's the right mindset, in my humble opinion. Sorry. So let's I continue with oh, Can I just, just go yes, back? Yes. So we've had yeah. time to think now. With regards, <laughs> with regards to the first point about lesson le lessons learned and what we need to do in the future, in my humble opinion as an educator, I think there are two key things. The first one is that businesses, including universities mm. and companies, should actually be involved in a school community. 
and also share the relevance. So I'm just thinking about parents' evenings. Mm. They can come and just say, look, this is what we're actually doing to educate your child. This, these are the, you know, the tech or the software or whatever it is they're actually using and talk to um, the, you know, the community stakeholders, I say, those who will actually influence the child and, you know, and, have a, um, and may not even be aware about what's actually going on. So I would actually say that. Um, the other aspect I'd say is about teachers. Now, unless you've been teaching, and this is one of the things, there is a lot to get through in the curriculum, particularly at Key Stage 4, you know, and the stakes are very high. We don't have time to um, necessarily be trained to train ourselves as what we possibly can do with the best will in the world. So I just think about, and I know it's something that Damon Hines has actually spoken mm -hmm. about in terms of their tech and CPD, is looking at how you can support, I'm talking about businesses again mm -hmm. and, and um, industry, how you can actually support teachers in the classroom. So you can see the glitches, so you yeah. can see the errors, so you can experience it firsthand and understand some of the frustrations. Because I am one of those who has experienced um, issues, you know, like the PCs don't work. But my students are, they're very creative. They think, okay, miss, we can do this instead. But unless you're there to experience these things, you won't actually know. Mm. But the importance about teacher training is really key. Mm. Find flexible models. Um, and use online, do different things. And I think one of the things about moving forward is, if you've always done what you've always, with it, you know, that phrase, yeah, that, if you've always done what you've always done, whatever it is, you're gonna continue that. I need to see creativity and flexibility. And unless you speak to educators, you won't know. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for being cheeky. So, yes, please. <laughs> There's definitely a bit of a bump. Um, so yes, you do see slightly more girls taking physics and slightly more girls taking computer sciences in those schools as compared to um, uh, co-ed schools, but it's not massive. So it's definitely not a silver bullet. Um, in some ways, you, not that I'm saying that we would hope it was, but it would be almost nice to think that, yes, that's the answer. And actually, I think that what we have to be honest about here is there is no single answer. Um, the reason I think that we see that slight bump comes back to the point I was making about in the Institute of Physics um, program earlier, which is that you tend to have a much more girls can do anything type of culture in an all girls school, because that's the culture that they want to foster. Whereas actually what we want in our co-ed schools is that boys and girls can do anything culture. Yeah, no, I'm, so like you, I've had a career in, in larger organisations and I remember the point where I had that flip over moment. So uh, I don't know the answer, but I, I urge all of you to go um, home and go online and do a bias check, right? Mm. So I did a bias check from MIT <laughs> based on something I was looking at. You know, I have, I have all of those anecdotes. I have a letter from my Silicon Valley company where I worked as my first programming job that said, actually, could you wear shorter skirts to work, please? I still have it. Uh, I may publish it one day. In the book. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's sort of, it, having gone through that, I have a bias. There is something in the way I communicate that I actually think that maybe text a male gendered role. It's so embarrassing to say that. Um, you know, it's not, you know, I'm okay on all the other bits, like, you know, <laughs> but I've got some, I've got work to do. 
I also agree with Kira. I went to a girls' high school, and I think it could have a positive or a negative impact depending on the on the culture of the school as well. However, there is one thing that was quite striking for us. We run uh, teens in AI and girls in AI hackathons mm -hmm. for 11 to 18-year-old high school students, and you have to see the difference in those hacks. Um, when it's all girls, you, I mean, some girls just flourish. They are so comfortable um, solving problems about the causes they care for, which is usually more things like diversity or sustainability, mm -hmm. those types of topics. They just love it and they support each other. In the teens in AI um, efforts, you s there are also some girls which love working with boys, but because they seem to be a bit more advanced in coding or gaming, so they learn a bit more or faster, but the topics are different. So I think it's both. To be on the safe side, we should have both approaches, at least at the second layer. Not school layer, but, but the activities. Anyhow, thank you so much. Any other questions? Yes, please. Yeah, um, do you think that um, there might be too much emphasis on ground up coding Absolutely. Are you asking any of us? or uh, just yeah. Yeah. I, I would just say and say I agree. I just think there needs to be a wider variety. That's why I refer mm -hmm. to it as digital skills. Yeah. There are so many different things out there. What are they? Yeah. It's not just coding. And my fear also as well is the fact that you see trends in certain things, like for example about maybe five, six years ago when we had CSI investigation, forensic mm. science was the thing. <laughs> yeah. And you had so many students that, you know, they did the sciences, they made, you know, vocational as well as uh, um, academic routes. They wanted to do forensic science, but then what do they do? Yeah. And, I, and I don't want to see coding going exactly the same way. I think there's I think there's a little bit of work in terms of the label as well because what I didn't share because it's, it's mm. not necessarily so positive is geeks do mm -hmm. that yeah. and what I didn't share is the fact that of the um, 10 students who put their hands up in my year nine class one of them, he, you know, he's off the scale in terms of you know, how he thinks and his um, scientific knowledge and understanding. Uh, but he, he would not be someone who would necessarily attract others to do exactly the same course. But he's very divine, <laughs> and not in a horrible sense. He is a fantastic student, but very unique. So I think that in terms of, I, 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 it's, and that's why I talk about diversity. Mm. You know, if you've got the person, you need people who, who would say right and say, I hated, you know, computers. I don't know what I'm doing. However, from doing this particular course, I can now do this. And why it's important because I can go on to do this particular. It's we need different narratives, in my opinion. So yeah. Yeah, um, I, I've noticed that, go for um, but I'm gonna, oh. but I'm gonna respectfully disagree and make That's it controversial. <laughs> um, I actually think that we're so when we so we're only an organisation that's two years old, and we we sorted out our mission statement early last year, and we spent a lot of time kind of we're you know we're, the demand that we have is to help kids get the skills so they could go into the workforce. Mm -hmm. But when you sit back and you look at it, we all have, personally, I'm not sure there will be a workforce to go into. And you know, so we are strapline is our best digital future. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to do personally is just to ensure that all all children have this notion that it's actually quite simple. If you want to pick up coding, pick up coding. Do it now, do it in 10 years' time or 20 years' time. Don't think it's a black box. Mm. 
And it's so, to, so in some ways, you have to give them the sort of skills to be able to tinker with it, to go, actually, it's a bit like drawing or it's a bit like kicking a football around. I can do, do this. And at some point, they need to engage with the skills of actually cutting some code. So I'm actually going to come up with a halfway policy <laughs> <laughs> um, So you're right. I think a big issue for uh, the entire digital sector is the fact that they use language that is completely incomprehensible to the world at large and has never bothered to explain it. And it's a great way of effectively trying to um, protect those jobs to some extent. Actually explaining what a business analyst does, loads of people have those skills. I used to be one. It's very I used to as well. I mean, it's not that difficult. But I think that um, the reality, though, is that you do, you're going to be a better business analyst if you have some basic coding understanding and you kind of understand the product that you're working with. Saying that, if you can recognize that it could be a very broad church, you don't necessarily have to go down that one route. I think that would be good, good as well. But I think that, that has to be a message that industry gets better at, at delivering because computer science as designed was designed for those who were going to be the specialists. It was designed as that specialist route. And so it's not really designed for your business analysts. So the challenge is then, how do I take my history graduate and make them a business analyst? And that might well be by getting them to do some basic coding. And I am. I am actually pleased to say I personally don't think there will be coding in the future. I mean, it just won't be necessary, whatever we communicate. With. But it is imperative to stay close to the technology. I think that's the essence. Whatever it is, AI or this or that, mixed reality, it will just get easier, just like normal, I think. Okay, one last question or are we? One last question. Yes, please. Definitely. I think work experience, absolutely every study shows that if you can get work experience, good quality work experience, it can be hugely powerful. I think the flip side that we tend to forget with work experience is bad quality work experience can be transformational the other way. Um, and I think that what we're finding is that as we're talking to employers about the T-level qualification that we're working on at the moment, that work experience um, question and how you operate it is rising to the top of their agenda in a way that it hasn't before. So hopefully what we should be seeing is employers thinking about ways of offering that work experience differently. That does come with some challenges though, but you're, you're right. Yeah, I can I just share some of our um, problems with that? So we're, you know, we have a lot of kids who really want to come and do work experience with us. Um, we're 11 people and we have no office. And, it's, and so when we go back to schools and say, actually, we could do this, but we'll need them to have a laptop and they'll be back at school anyway, there's kind of no understanding that that's actually a real, we can give them real work experience. They can make a huge change to um, what we do. Um, but. Yeah, we need it to work both ways. But I don't, uh, you know, we might just open an office and solve that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, I, d I don't know how smaller companies can engage with that whole sector. And I know from the other side where I've been going around schools in Hackney, um, they don't know how to coordinate that. So it's really who, who do they know, mm, which sure. parent can give them. So you end yes. up with the same access to opportunities dependent on location. So I've just thrown you more problems. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but those are the things I'm thinking about at the moment. I'm doing a research project at the moment and walk around work experience. 
Yeah, so we have that, um, that's exactly how we're tackling that. So we have our ARM graduates who are one of our founding partners, as are Microsoft, would you like to do the same? Um, <laughs> sure. And we've got their, uh, those uh, young people doing great. Yeah, so we might look at that. That's really, really clever. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. We do. I mean, I, yeah, and I have an intern and an apprentice, so <laughs> we are doing our best. But thank you all so much for your interest, your passion. We all need each other. That's the obvious, uh, I think, takeaway. And thank you all so much for the insightful comments and inputs. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more on Nesta's work in education, go to nesta.org.uk forward slash education. If you'd like to hear more from Nesta, why not try Future Curious, Nesta's podcast of bold ideas for curious minds. Subscribe wherever you find your podcasts or see nesta.org.uk forward slash Future Curious for more.